Welcome to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast, a show that offers you tips and strategies to help speakers build the business of their dreams. Now, here's your host, 30-year industry veteran and business coach, Jane Atkinson. everyone to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. Today we are talking about hot button topics, primarily diversity, inclusion, equity. I am joined by a special guest, Tina Varighese. Welcome, Tina. Thank you, Jane, for having me. I hope I got your name right. You nailed it. <laughs> you pronounce it so that everybody can hear it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you nailed it. It's Varighese. You nailed it. I don't need to correct you. You got okay. it the first time out. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Okay, that's great. Tell everybody about your background and your business model, kind of who you speak to today. So I am a keynote speaker. I tend to speak for larger audiences, but I do corporate training as well. I have been uh, very blessed. I've been speaking in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space well before it ever became sexy, to be honest with you. It has been uh, a passion project, certainly for me. Where my background lies, actually, and how I probably got into the space is I used to manage our immigration office for the province of Alberta. And I really noticed a gap when it came to knowledge between businesses that were hiring, because we have such a culturally diverse population, both in the States and in Canada. So Mm -hmm. we're looking at about one fifth of our population being foreign born, and that is higher in urban centers. So, you know, depending on where you are in Toronto, it's 39%. In Vancouver, BC, we're looking at 49%. So mm-hmm. depending on urban centers, that will increase. And, you know, we're also looking at the value. So someone might be born here, but if they're first, you know, or second generation immigrant that were, you know, had parents that really instilled the cultural values, then, you know, you're also dealing with, yes, someone may have been born in Canada, but they might have you know, for in my case, Indo-Canadian values. And so that's going to come into the diversity at the workplace, because at the workplace, we're always looking at lots of different types of, of diversity, if it be gender diversity or cultural diversity or neurodiversity, whatever it might be. And so that's sort of the space that I got into based on my background. From there, I had a relocation and settlement company working with oil and gas expats coming from all over the world. And again, I noticed how it was really impacting the workplace, both both positively and negatively. Lots of challenge, but at the same time, ridiculous amounts of opportunity when it came to profitability. And so I really take it from that business perspective. So it's not just the right thing to do, but it's also the more profitable as well. And so that uh, my background, my business background, you know, I have a business degree, poli sci degree. And so I really wanted to bridge all of that, the education, the experience, and my passion for speaking. I only, you know, I got in trouble all the time, Jane, for talking too much in class and I just had to monetize that. So yeah, kind of got into that. For all of us who got that on our report cards, exactly. Jane talks too much was definitely on my port, uh, report card. So you said that you were born in Canada. Talk a little bit about your own family and cultural values that you hold. Yeah, my parents came to Canada well over 65 years ago. So they were actually kind of considered pioneers when it came to coming from a foreign country. A lot of immigrants obviously have landed, but definitely they came a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And so and they've always kind of believed in, you know, the concept. If you're in the country, you really have to embrace the country. So I I almost joke that my mom is more westernized than I am. If you saw her and her and how she dresses 
You know, really? she could she could fit in in New York. <laughs> like she's, but at the same wow. time, the cultural values absolutely, depending on where someone is from, can be different from what we're used to if we're in in Canada or the U.S. So in Canada and the U.S. We tend to be more individualistic when it comes to our values, meaning we're more about our own goals, achievements, objectives. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But when we look at the more collectivist cultures and our top source immigrant countries that are coming into both Canada and the U.S. right now, which is India, China, Pakistan, the Philippines, Korea, Syria and Mexico would. And I was talking about both Canada and the U.S. Well, they're all collectivist countries in nature. So what that means is they're more family oriented, more community oriented. They look at the team before themselves. They look at harmony before their own individualistic viewpoint. And so, of course, when we have different values that we're coming into the workplace with, well, that's going to cause some challenge if we don't have the competency, you know, if it be cultural competency or diversity competency to understand how to move forward in the space. Hmm. Okay. So much unpack there. (laughs) You have brought, when I follow you on social media, you're just helping me become more aware of things that I didn't know. And I completely admit that I've got unconscious bias in my brain, right? Are we all hardwired that way? Like, are there people out there who don't have any unconscious bias? No, everybody, including myself, has unconscious bias. And that's the beauty of it. It's unconscious. We're not even aware. We're not born with bias. We're definitely not born with bias. It's shaped over time. And the biases happen with the social media that we expose ourselves to, the news that we watch, the companies that we work for, the friends that we keep, the associations we're a part of, all contribute to the unconscious biases that we have. Having those biases does not make us racist. It doesn't make us discriminatory. It makes us human. But at the end of the day, we can all become better humans. And that's where I feel we can make some impact. Because the first key is exactly what you said, Jane, recognizing, you know what, I have these unconscious biases. You know, a lot of people, when I actually do speak both virtually and in person, you know, I'll throw a poll up there. You know, do you feel you have unconscious biases against others? Yes, no, I don't know what they are. And I have a slew of people that'll say, no, I don't have unconscious biases because they truly believe they see people for whom they are. And of course, we all ultimately want to see people for whom they are. We all say, I don't see color. There's nothing wrong with seeing someone's color. I am a BIPOC woman. I fall into the black indigenous people of color, but I like to say I'm toasted almond, according to the Benjamin Moore paint app. That's actually closer to my coloring. So, you know, I promise you, you're not white. Like that is not your coloring. So it's. <laughs> Which color are you on the Benjamin Moore scale again? I, you can put it. There's an app. It's Toasted Almond. If you want Toasted this in your great almond. room. Yeah. Oh. Like this is what I'm actually, if we really wanted to drill it down, that's. <laughs> I love toasted almond. I mean, that I would buy that color just because it sounds so delicious, right? I like to think I'm delicious, Jane. That would be are. You are. Okay. So awareness is really kind of the first step towards starting to be maybe more inclusive. Now, let's come at this from an individual speaker. Perhaps they're a solopreneur or perhaps they have a team of a number of speakers. I just did a post about making more conscious hires so that you have some diversity even on your team. 
And we're trying. I will tell you that we're trying. I don't know if we're, you know, succeeding and being good enough. But tell us what the benefit is for people to have a more balanced group of people on their teams. So I would back it up, James. So I think it's awesome you're trying. And I think most companies are trying. What I think what's a great approach to hiring people that are more diverse than potentially you are is actually looking at increasing the talent pool and increasing the diversity of who is applying for the positions that you have rather than because there's that very fine line of tokenism. So we don't want to just hire someone because they're black. We don't want to hire someone because they're indigenous. We don't want to hire someone because they have a disability. We don't want to hire someone because they're a woman. We really do want to get the best people in the positions. But what we want to make sure we're not doing is screening out before we screen in. And that's where the unconscious bias comes into play. And so there are many systemic barriers at the workplace. There's a lot of unconscious bias that we're not even aware of. But when we can tap into the unconscious bias and systemic barriers that may exist, then we will naturally start to increase the talent pool so that we're actually getting more people to apply. Because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you know, we still want to get the best person for the job, regardless of race, religion, toasted almond colorness, whatever it might be. We want the best people working in our organizations. It's a matter of how do we attract those people enough to make sure that they want to work for our organizations. So that's sort of a a key. It's a bit of a, you know, it's convoluted because I know every company out there has the best of intentions. I know that. And I know most, you know, most people aren't, I would never in a million years say people are racist. I think people for the most part are coming from a place of great intention. They just don't recognize that they may have these unconscious biases or systemic barriers that are stopping people ultimately for applying for positions. So, you know, what I mean by that, well, think about digital inclusion, digital inclusion. We have a lot of people in indigenous Northern communities in Canada that don't have access to Wi-Fi yet. How are they supposed to hear about the jobs? So, They're not applying. So that is a systemic barrier of inclusion to hiring. So now we have to think as companies, well, then how do we get that information out? If we really want people to really, really speaking the actions that we really want, how do we get them to even look at applying? Small things, small things. We have to look at our job descriptions. So job descriptions can have, without even us recognizing this, it can have gender imbalances. So for example, there are words, competitive, driven. Well, those are more male-oriented words, collaborative, communicative. Those are more female-oriented words. So what we want to do, even with our job descriptions, let's say you're looking for a new CFO. Well, you want to make sure that you're putting the gender-neutral or gender-balanced terminology in those job descriptions because there's going to be internal bias that we have within ourselves that will go, huh, you know, I'm not, maybe I don't see myself as competitive and driven. Maybe I don't apply. And so that's why we want that balance in place of those gender words so that we have balance even within our, in our own just job descriptions. Now, if we're a small company, that's pretty easy to do. But if you're a medium, a large size, you can use artificial intelligence software, Textio is one of them to look at those job descriptions to decrease the systemic barriers that are existing. So there's lots of different things that people can do 
to increase that talent pool to ultimately look at diversity and inclusion within the workplace in a much more effective way. Do you see, and I see a shift, but I'm hoping you'll say you'll see a shift as well, in the representation of speakers up on the main stage reflecting more of who is in the audience. Have you started to see the trend that the people are hiring more diverse for the roles in speaking? Yes and no. (laughs) So I am definitely seeing more. So with keynote speakers, that's a pretty small percentage. And so I'm taking it from that keynote speaker place. And I tend to, I kind of make a point and I'm a little edgy on social media because I always want to make it really clear that I am often the only female coupled with the fact that I'm the only visible minority on the stage. Mm. So yes, I'll be there, but I feel very confident. I am not representative of all the women that are probably at these conferences. And so I always kind of make a point. I'm like, I'm going to rep the women well, because... I just feel like, well, now all of a sudden I am not representing my talent on that stage. I'm representing all women and visible minorities. So that's a lot of pressure when it comes to that position. So yes, I'm seeing more diverse people on the stage for sure. But I think we have a long ways to go because, you know, when we see it, we can be it. So if you think of a con, let's say we're looking at an accounting conference So in the accounting sector, you're looking at almost a 50% split of both men and women in that occupation. But I promise you, I've almost made it almost every time I'm at an accounting conference, you know, keynoting that I am the only woman and I'm the only person of color. Yet that is one of the most diverse industries in terms of racial diversity, as well as gender diversity there is. So you're getting your experts to motivate and inspire, influence, impact everybody in that conference, yet they're not represented on that stage. What's the messaging there? Hmm. I can tell you, though, that it wasn't 50-50 back when I were right out of college. One of my first jobs was working for one of the big five accounting companies in Canada, and it was all men. Absolutely. The makeup that you have see on the stage right now was the makeup of the boardroom and the partners and everything back then. So we're seeing some progress. Absolutely. Perhaps we're not seeing it across the board. And so my goal is to just have conversations that continue to take that to the next level. Hopefully there's someone who's listening in today who does the hiring for conferences. And you really, if you're not already asking yourself, Is my lineup on the stage reflecting my audience in then? If not, then we need to make a change. So I love that we're just having this conversation. So now you mentioned you're a little edgy on social media. (laughs) And I love that because I think that that's why people are going to hire you because this is, hey, I'm here kind of in your face telling you what you need to know. And you're not being timid about it. You're not being shy about it. And I love that. Let's talk, though, about when we see things that we think are offensive or potentially racist or something like that, we're not necessarily going to see them in the workplace because we all work typically with our teams, maybe a lot of us virtually. When we see things like that, what are we supposed to do? 
What's the right answer? What's the proper protocol? Well, we will actually see this in the workplace too, Jane. It'll come probably under the topic of microaggressions. Mm. And so microaggressions is, you know, those unintentional acts of racism, ableism, genderism. It happens all the time. You know, for example, you might be at the workplace, either virtually or in person. Someone's wearing a hijab and their colleague says, why do you wear that? You know, it's covering up your beautiful hair and face. So it's almost an unintentional compliment. It's you have a beautiful hair and face. Why are you covering it up? That's a microaggression right there. Okay. Now, the thing with microaggressions is it's all about intention and impact. Were they trying to be intentionally negative or intentionally discriminatory or intentionally racist? My guess is probably not. Right. But the impact that it can have quite a bit of negative impact, particularly depending on who's the receiving on who's on the receiving end. And it, that goes for both parties, yes. because at the end of the day, our bias is there because it, it's it goes over time. And so we're seeing the world through the lens that we see it through. Right. The person talking to us is seeing their world through the lens they're seeing. So they might have meant nothing by it. But mm-hmm. it can have negative impact. So how do we now move forward in that space? Well, first, I would just say, you know, and, and this is how I often try to explain it to people is, first of all, not everything you hear is racist. It might have been the most curious comment, yeah. you know, right? Like people might actually ask something that they meant nothing by. So, you know, there is really nothing wrong with saying Do you mind letting me know what did you mean by that? Or, you know, just asking for clarity, giving them that place to explain themselves. They may not have meant a darn thing about it. So we're just sort of looking at intention and impact. Now, if there's something that so blatantly, you know, someone and this happened a lot, I would say with I call it the Corona coaster, you know, with covid, Mm -hmm. there was just a lot of racist jokes when it came to, you know, Asian flu, etc. Well, that's more of a racist comment. And, you know, that's when you can, you can just say, Hey, dude, that's not cool. Or like, really just because our silence is when we're silent in those moments, we're agreeing with what's being said. Yeah. So I think it's so important to say something, you know, if it's dude, that's racist or that's not cool or someone aside and say, hey, I just want to let you know that this is how I perceived what you said. Like you can do that privately. It doesn't have to be absolutely like public shaming. Absolutely. You know, because maybe their intention really wasn't to be racist or whatever it was. I want to stay on microaggressions for a little bit longer because there's a lot of them that can happen. Can you just give me like some examples? Absolutely. I want to talk, I want to ask you, I have heard it said that black women have lots of different types of hair and going up to a black woman and talking to her, I'm a white woman, just talking to a black woman, you know, and saying, oh, I love your hair. Is that a microaggression? So if you said, I love your hair, I personally wouldn't feel that's a microaggression, Mm -hmm. but there is a component. And I actually did a video, a YouTube on this with a beautiful black woman, Joanne Kenya Baker, who explained a little bit of the background when it came to the colonialism of why black women feel they have to wear their hair in the way they do. And so there is a natural way to wear hair if you're black, but due to colonialism, a lot of black women couldn't really embrace how their hair really should 
be authentically. And so that was sort of some of the issues outlying part of that. And, you know, even she explained a bizarre story of how someone in an elevator just started reaching their hand, touching her hair, you know, (laughs) that is not okay. Right. So it was so weird. And her husband, who's white, had quite a hilarious comment back because he was like, what is going on? And so, you know, there is, I think there's a a bit of a fine line. Again, I think we have to ask ourselves, what's the intention? What's the impact? Funny you even asked that question. I was at the gym this morning and there was a black woman who passed me in the parking lot. She had a very, very short shaved Afro, but she had dyed her hair blonde. And I said, I love your hair. It's awesome. And she, of course, said, thank you so much. So was that a microaggression? Absolutely not. I'm giving her a compliment. You know, and she recognized it as such. But so there's a bit of a fine line. And I really think that, you know, for example, a a typical microaggression is, you know, in the workplace, someone is BIPOC, you know, Black, Indigenous, people of color. And you say, you're so articulate. You know, well, that would be a microaggression where you're making the assumption that they wouldn't be articulate. (laughs) You know, that you're making the assumption. saying that to a seven foot basketball player might be the same thing, right? You're so exactly. Oh, you're right. I'm a seven and, basketball player and I'm black. I'm not supposed to be articulate. Sorry. I just did it right there. I said seven foot basketball player, but I wanted, I meant to say black, but it's not assumed that all seven foot players are black. So there you go. I mean, look at how easy it is to kind of. It is. But I Jane, I, I don't want to put in my mouth a lot. Of no, time. you didn't. Because you know I'm what? Married. I don't want us to be in a place where like, first of all, you just called yourself on it. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big believer of let's call people into a conversation, not call people out. We don't right. want to shame or blame because I don't even feel that works ever. Yeah. And I also don't want us to live in a world where we're all walking on eggshells and that we're all so darn politically correct that we can't yeah. be authentic. Thank because you for saying that. Yeah. The, the pendulum is really swung. My thought is that, okay, let's give the example of not enough inclusion on the main stage. Sometimes what I think happens is the pendulum swings. So you go to conference on year one and it's all middle-aged white guys. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. middle-aged white guys. And it's all them. And then now we've become more aware and more inclusive. And so you go and you see the next year and it's all, there's like a rainbow yeah. of colors and different yeah. types of things. Okay. <laughs> but somewhere in the middle is probably exactly because we still need to hear from our middle-aged Absolutely. white guys. Absolutely. And so like, I think the pendulum swings and I think, I wonder we're going down a bit of a rabbit hole here that I'm nervous about. (laughs) I wonder about when, you know, is there a point where we've gone so far in political correctness that people are going to get just so tired of trying to keep up? Yeah, I think we're there. (laughs) I honestly think we're there. I, in fact, I explained an example where I even felt so psychologically unsafe during one of my own sessions that I started questioning how authentic I could be when I showed up, you know, when I showed up in the space, because it was getting to the point where I'm like, Ooh, cause I actually, where I actually make impact Jane and why I probably have done very well in this space. Cause there's a lot of diversity, equity, and inclusion speakers, yes. but where I kind of make myself a little more identifiable is 
I use humor. I actually try to use humor in this space, which is not the norm. And okay. so it was getting to the point, and I even realized, I'm like, whoa, I used that joke 10 years ago. I can't use it anymore. Oh. And I had to kind of go, yeah, okay, I really can't use it anymore. And that's okay. But that doesn't mean I can't use humor. So yes, our times have changed, but I really think that it all comes down to psychological safety. So yes, we need diverse equity and inclusive environment in both our personal and professional spheres. Mm -hmm. But if we don't feel psychologically safe, if we don't feel that we can say what we need to say and show up authentically, be seen, be heard, acknowledged in the way that there is no negative ramification. We don't have psychological safety on that stage. We don't have psychological safety in the workplace. Where I've seen it make the most impact is when leaders truly align with the actions and accountability that they're really trying to like portray. So for example, if a conference organizer only put, you know, someone that looks a little bit more diverse on the stage because they felt it was the right thing to do, but it really didn't align with how they truly felt. Mm -hmm. Their intentions are not misaligned. Yeah, they're misaligned. And mm -hmm. I've even noticed that with myself. I'm at the point where I'm like, you know, if I'm being hired for tokenism or what we would really call optical allyship, meaning if you're just bringing in a diversity, equity and inclusion speaker because you're like, oh, this is the hot topic right now. We better do it. We better do the right thing. Right, right. But if it doesn't really align with the values of that conference or the values of that organization or the values of that company. Right. Yeah. Don't be bringing me in because I am not going to be your token to just say, hey, checkbox, you did it. You know, that's. If you're bringing in a speaker for an hour or bringing in a speaker for 20 minutes on that stage and then you're like, check, done, eh, that's probably not, you know, the actions and the accountability that we really need. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, so it really has to make sure that those values align with what you're really trying to accomplish. And I have noticed that has been a bit of a gap, that it all comes down to leadership. And do they really, it's not just about doing the right thing, but does it really align with who you are, what you're trying to accomplish and what you're trying to do? Yeah. And I would say even for us, the pendulum probably swang too far, swang, I don't even know if that's a word, too far. And there might've been topics on our show that weren't exactly right for the show but we wanted to just go into the, it, it's almost like in an effort to expand, we expand just a little bit slightly over the edge. And so now we're kind of going, okay, let's do a combination of over the year, take a look at our broad spectrum and see, are we having a nice diverse group of people? Yeah. But then are we also staying on topic? Totally. And I really, you know, it's Perhaps not about diversity. Split over. Yeah. Yeah, diversity for me, it's not about the color of your skin or the religion that you practice. You know, it's really about diversity of perspectives. Mm. And so I love that you kind of went, wait a second here, let's step back. Because at the end of the day, we really just want diversity of perspective when it comes to the yes. speaking industry. Yeah, and to really be able good. to get that diversity of perspective, you need a lot of different people that are bringing, like I am much more than a brown, funny woman. I have lots of hats. <laughs> that I wear. And that's the diversity of perspective that I'm going to bring to the table. You know, there will be speakers out there that are going to take it from a completely different, you know, focus than I am. And so, you know, because people, it's funny, because I literally had a client say to me, 
Tina, I got to tell you, I, I didn't hire you because you're a woman and that you're, you know, brown. I actually watched your videos and you're freaking hilarious. That's why I hired you. Like it was ah. so that, that perspective, you know, that diversity of what you're bringing to the table is very layered. And what we see on the surface or what I call the iceberg, what you're going to see is not what you're necessarily going to get. We're much more layered than that. What's underneath that iceberg? You actually check so many boxes for people who are trying to hire diverse because being female and a woman of color, but then also, so you check a couple of boxes there, but then also you check the humor box, which is another big box. So I can see now why you've got such huge uh, success here in the speaking industry. Okay. Talk about what things might completely turn off an audience or at least people, diverse people in an audience. What are some things that might've been okay a few years ago that aren't okay today? I really think it depends on the speaker. So for example, like I am not, I don't swear on the stage. I'll never swear on the stage. And I know that really can offend so many people in the audience, but Gary Vee can get away with it, you know? So I think if you're authentically swearing from the stage and it's part of your brand and it's who you are and it's authentic to who you are, swear on the stage. You may offend some of those people in the audience, but if you're going to own it and if it's who you are, then no problem. I know for myself, I literally just heard a speaker, literally just heard a speaker that I was like, ooh, you're making me cringe right now because the speaker unfortunately had such an arrogance about her from the stage. And, you know, she would pose a question and there would be crickets and she's like, oh, you don't know that one either? You don't know what that one either? Oh, <laughs> and I'm okay. like, you know, swearing from the stage though and offending your audience, those are just things not to do. Just don't do that anytime, anywhere, yeah. any place. But what would be something that's kind of in the DEI space or something that might... I'll give you one. I'll give you one. Yeah, okay. I'll give you one that I actually, you were there. I keynoted for the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers. Okay. And I was trying to, because it was our convention, and I was trying to give speakers that exact insight as to what is something you could say from the stage that maybe you could get away with years ago, and it's going to fall not even on deaf ears, but potentially on angry ears right now. So, and I notice this all the time. Speakers are notorious for doing this. They'll say my tribe. So, and they say it in a positive way, you know, and I was like, wait a second here. When you have, you know, Africans in the, in the audience, if when you have indigenous in the audience and you're using that language, which they would convey as a negative, And you're my tribe, my tribe. It's not only non-inclusive, it's beyond offensive. And most people now are kind of educating themselves on recognizing that saying my tribe. So that's now cultural appropriation, right? Cultural appropriation. Now I will say. Let's put spirit animal into the same place. I just watched. Do you watch the morning show? I don't watch the morning show, but I was literally going to give you that example, Jane. So I, someone in the chat, like I had done a a gig and someone in the chat said, Tina, you're my spirit animal. So I put it on social media. I was so excited. I'm like, I'm someone's spirit animal. (laughs) And and I didn't think anything of it. And it got into this. And that's what I mean by the edgy piece, because I really try 
to create a psychologically safe space, even in my social media. I want people to comment. And so I had people like private messaging me what the negative would be there. I had people openly saying, but that was meant as a compliment. So I was like, okay, you know, I think this is a great discussion to have because I have to say, I was like, oh, I didn't know that one. And I got called on it in my own social media feed. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I wish people would call me out more because I'd really like to know and learn. Like I really am very open to hearing about my mistakes and I don't get called out enough. I think cultural appropriation, we really need to watch out for that. A small one. one. I'll give you a small one. Give me another one. Another one. So, you know, for example, you're a speaker, you're on the stage and, you know, people are like, well, how do you address the audience? Hey guys. Right. Oh yeah. Right. Hey guys. Now, Now, if you're identifying as trans or non-binary, you know, or you're just, you're a woman and you're like, Hey, wait, I'm not one of the guys. But that one is funny because I have to say, if I'm in the audience and someone said, Hey guys, would I be offended? <laughs> not at all. But, but somebody who's non-binary might, right? Might, so, might. Hmm. And I think that yeah. one would be more like, cause you have a lot of listeners that are more or workshop, I, you know, facilitators, mm-hmm. trainers, Yeah. that one, you know, from a, from a stage, from a large stage, I don't know if it's as big a deal, but as a workshop facilitator and as a trainer, and you're trying to create this very inclusive space for a smaller group. Yeah. And you just said, Hey guys, you know, or at the workplace, Hey guys, let's go for the meeting. Yeah. Would it offend me? Not at all, but it could offend some just by how they're identifying. So it's just those small things. And I'm not saying change who you are, change your vernacular, just be aware of it. (laughs) Be aware of it. Awareness might be saying after you say, Hey guys, Ooh, I just caught myself. You know, I think saying things like that out loud are really interesting. If anybody in here is non-binary, I apologize or whatever it might be. It makes you just go, okay, they're aware. But I think that's a really good one. Anything else for LGBTQ that we might, and and I don't know if my acronym is even correct at this moment in changes, time. It changes, it changes so often. That's <laughs> one that I'm having a really hard time keeping up with. Oh. And, I, and I also wonder if there aren't people who are just, you know, what do you say to people who are like, oh, come on, how many more are we gonna find out about? Like, uh, what what do you say to people who are worth (laughs) that it's going to some faraway places? Yeah, so I will literally say this as my own because I don't even use the acronym. I copied what David Shit from Shit's Creek says and I'll just say, I'm into the wine, not the label. Okay, I'm into the wine, not the label. I love that you quoted Schitt's Creek. Right? I'm like, who cares? LGBTQ, LMNOP. I don't really care. I don't want to have days that we celebrate this anymore. I want to get to a place we don't need these days. So Uh, honestly, you do you. I am not into the label. I'm into the wine. So it's so good, you know, that you said that. Okay, I'm going to just give one last confession here before we leave. Oh gosh. Now I'm feeling like I'm like kind of outing somebody, somebody in my life has not declared their, you know, sexual preferences or something like that. And I'm learning even more about that, that identity is one thing and sexual preference is another thing. That is something that I've learned in the last year, but they haven't declared. And so I just asked the question, like, you know, how do you identify or something like that? 
in hindsight, I realize that's none of my business. Why did I even ask? Like, why do I care what label he or she might have? Like, who cares? I'm into the wine, not the label is a great (laughs) phrase and a great kind of mantra to have. If somebody hasn't come out yet and you think they should, it's none of your business. It's well, and it's also a great way, right? It's a great way for you to say, I don't care. (laughs) I don't care. And I, and that's actually was the intention of the place that I was coming from. It's like, we all know, we've all known for years. I don't really understand why you haven't like staken a claim. Yeah. But maybe there was something that he or she identified with that I didn't even really understand yet. And really when the bottom line comes, I shouldn't have asked the question. I felt like maybe that was kind of offensive. Well, I had a personal experience with this. My best friend who I've known for well over 25 years, did not come out to me till six years ago. And of course I had some, you know, yeah, he's the godfather of my children and still didn't come out. And when we talked about it openly and honestly, I said, what's the deal? I'm your bestie. Why would you have not even have told me? And he goes, Tina, I knew that if I had told you, you would force me to come out when I wasn't even ready. And I'm like, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that to you. And then I paused. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I probably would probably. have done that. And that's great because I would have wanted yeah. him to be in his authentic self. And he taught yeah. me, and I didn't know this. He taught me like, until you're truly ready you for yourself to, to authentically ready. come out, yeah. there's no point in yeah. telling people, even if they're the closest to you on mm-hmm. the planet to, because they're just simply not authentically owning that for themselves for whatever those reasons. My bestie was, you know, born in a Lutheran household, raised in, you know, came from small town, Saskatchewan in a very corporate industry. He wasn't ready. And who am I to say, well, you need to be ready. No, it's not. And honestly, I don't really like whatever goes on in the bedroom. That's you do you. I don't care. (laughs) What are you doing with, you know, what's. I made the wine, not the label. That is a great quote. You can, take it. you can borrow it. All your listeners can go with it. We're going to go with it. <laughs> Tina, thank you so much for helping to just, you know, let us be just that much further in our education. It's just about having a conversation. That's all it is. People want to get in touch with you. What should they do? My website is tworksforyou.ca. You can see my cute little logo there, tworksforyou.ca. Company is Tworks. If you ever want to reach out, and chat, give me a, send me an email, phone. Yeah. I am on every freaking social media platform there possibly yeah. is, except t- TikTok, but I'm so ready. <laughs> like I am ready to embrace TikTok. That's funny. So, Let me yeah, tell you so last name for it. somebody who might want to reach out to you. On, oh, thank you. Uh, it's V as in Victor, A-R-U-G-H-E-S as in Sam E. Okay. So yeah. Tina Varighese, I appreciate that. We Jane. connect on LinkedIn. So we're on LinkedIn buddies and uh, love following you out there. And thank if you. you get on TikTok, I'll be watching you there as well. Thank you so much for being here today. I've totally enjoyed our time. And if that was fun. Know, if anybody <laughs> would like to let us know how this episode kind of impacted you, we'd love to hear about it. Thank you so much for listening. And with that, we'll say, see you soon, wealthy speakers. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. If you need help building the speaking business of your dreams, head over to WealthySpeakerSchool.com 
and take advantage of our 20-minute next step call. Thanks for listening to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast.